And please open your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. As many or most of you know, I grew up in New England, and my family moved here when I was 11 years old. We came here in 1998, and we moved to North San Diego County to a city called Escondido, maybe you know it. And there was not yet a Reformed Baptist church in North San Diego County. There was a plan to plant one, and this church was pivotal in the planting of that church in Escondido, which now exists in Vista. But when we moved here, before that church had been planted, we spent a few months uh, traveling up from Escondido an hour and a half to attend church here. Uh, It looked a bit different. The people here looked a bit different. Uh, I have the 1990s church photo directory, and I'm not afraid to use it sometimes. People looked different then. There was more hair for some of you, uh, I might add. And when we were attending here during that time, the church had a different schedule, as many of you will remember. Those of you who missed your Sunday nap, we had a morning service and an evening service. So for a family driving an hour and a half from Escondido to come to Trinity and La Mirada, what were we going to do all afternoon? Well, the families of this church were very generous and kind to host my family for lunch during those Sundays. So I got to spend time in the homes of many of you. I don't know if you remember 11-year-old me or not, but I was there once upon a time not knowing that one day I would live here in this parsonage and be pastor, one of the pastors of this church. But the, the church's hospitality to my family was a wonderful blessing. It was a wonderful blessing for us that was given to us by this church, and that is what we are commanded to do today in our text. We are in 1 Peter chapter 4, and remember that we're looking at verses 8 through 11, which is three one another commands. Last week, we looked at verse 8, where Peter says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. That was the first one another command, love one another. And now verse 9 will be the focus of this morning's sermon, which says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Show hospitality or practice hospitality towards one another without grumbling. Now, to study this first, we're going to do it in reverse order. We're going to start with the grumbling. We're going to begin with the grumbling that Peter absolutely forbids, and then having cleared away some of the obstacles that make us grumble about hospitality, we'll proceed from there. So point number one is grumbling about guests. Grumbling about guests. Why is it that some people grumble about hospitality? I don't want to do that. Well, I'll give you three sub-points, and each of those sub-points is a pair So it's actually six things, but I'm having mercy on you by putting them in pairs. So it's three sub-points. The first of the reasons why people grumble about guests, first sub-point is culture and capitalism. Culture and capitalism. Peter is writing to first century Mediterranean Christians. First century 
Mediterranean Christians. If you remember the beginning of 1 Peter, he addresses himself to churches, plural, in a, in a region uh, of what we would call Asia Minor, Asia Minor or Turkey, uh, the Mediterranean. And in that time and in those places, there would have been certain cultural predispositions and presuppositions and attitudes with regard to hospitality, which we need to recognize were probably different than our own. And in fact, it would be true today that if you go to different parts of the world, their sort of automatic disposition or perspectives on hospitality will be different. Different cultures have different perspectives on hospitality. So we have to ask ourselves, living in SoCal uh, in 2023, uh, is our culture a hospitable culture? I've said before that one of the things that surprised me moving from New England to Escondido, um, which I remember when we lived in New England and we were looking at the map of where we were going to live in Southern California, they had the weirdest names down here, very, very strange. We'd say Poway, what's Poway? <laughs> what a weird name, and Ramona, what's Ramona? Escondido, what's all this? But when we finally made it here and begun to become accustomed to the, the different names, if you moved to Massachusetts, you'd say, there's a lot of weird names there, like Massachusetts and Massasoit and Quinnipoxit and all kinds of things. Anyway, one of the things that was strange was that every house had its six-foot fences. Where I grew up, very few houses had fences. If they did, it was probably chain link. But you could see all the houses and, and everyone, and it was just weird to me because everyone had a little fortress that they lived in. And you didn't even generally know the names of your neighbors, let alone talk to them or play with their children, hardly. It was very different, a very different culture when we moved to Southern California. And I would assert that this is a generality, that our culture is not very hospitable. Now, certainly within friend groups or within family groups, people get together on a regular basis. But hospitality is different. We've talked before about brotherly love. Last week we mentioned Peter's command to maintain brotherly love, which would be in Greek what? Brotherly love would be Philadelphia. Phila, love, Adelphia, the brethren. Well, the word that Peter uses here for hospitality is philozenia, loving strangers, loving people you don't know. Hospitality is not just about having your friends over or your family over. That is a kind of hospitality, but Peter is talking about being hospitable to people you don't really know. Now, in Southern California, being somewhat guarded about interacting with people you don't know is a fairly legitimate caution. There's a wisdom that is at play there. It would be unwise to let all of our guards down for anyone and everyone that we don't know, and we'll talk about later that that's not at all what Peter is commanding or has in view, but for now I just want to talk about why do people grumble about hospitality. One of the reasons is we're not a very hospitable culture. And now let's combine that with capitalism. Capitalism's not bad, but it can easily be abused, and the American dream and the American mindset and the American culture and the American abuses of capitalism are a potent concoction for anti-hospitality. Why? 
because people have a mindset that if I work hard, I should be rewarded and able to build a life for myself. That's not necessarily bad, but it becomes very self-centered. I've worked hard for my things, and you don't get to have my things. But what's hospitality? Here, have my things. <laughs> hospitality is, you can have my things. Here you go, I give them to you. Whereas the American dream and the American mindset is, what's mine is not yours. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of my happiness, okay? Not your happiness. Get your own. I worked for this. When I was your age, you know how it goes. You have to work for yours. I'm not going to give it to you. Hospitality is, generally speaking, sacrificial, free giving. Here you go. This is my stuff. I made it for you. I give it to you. You get it. In our, in our society and culture, wealthier communities use their wealth often to seclude themselves with gates and fences, which, again, there is a certain legitimate caution in terms of security and safety, but it goes beyond that to where wealthy people use their wealth so that they don't have to see poverty or ever be exposed to it. One of the reasons is that they don't want to have to be asked to part with their goods by way of charity and generosity. They want to fund arts institutes and get their names on gymnasiums rather than helping people who are hungry or don't have sufficient clothing. And so the rich will use their resources to avoid having to share their things with those who are in need and they don't even want to know about it. They don't even want to see. This is American culture. This is the, the abuse or misuse of capitalism. And there's a, a hidden anti-community, pro-individual perspective that resides in the American heart and is very anti-hospitality. It makes hospitality rank very low on the list of things you like. If I said, make a list of the things you like, and at some point hospitality has to be on your list, it would be, you know, we're into like page 10,000 by the time you get to hospitality. Now, I'm being a bit... Uh, I'm exaggerating somewhat, but you understand. There's truth in what I'm saying. And then there's some people who actually appeal to God's law for this kind of mindset. They'll say God's law forbids stealing, which positively means you have to protect my goods. You cannot take my goods, and you need to respect and protect my goods. And the law of God says you shall not covet, so you shouldn't even want my goods. And they'll use that to protect the American dream and the misuses of capitalism to say, what's mine is mine, and it's not yours, and you shouldn't even want it. So they even have a sort of quasi-pseudo-spirituality and biblical argument for their selfishness. But let's see what God really requires by turning to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19, Peter has said, no grumbling. No grumbling. How does Paul help us to comply? 1 Timothy six seventeen to 19, he says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly 
life. Now notice, notice a few things briefly. Paul does not shame the wealthy for being wealthy. He doesn't say you shouldn't be wealthy. He doesn't say it's wrong to be wealthy. He just says there are some of you that have more, and here's how you should think of your goods and what you should do with them. He doesn't make them feel ashamed for having more than others. He doesn't tell them to get rid of what they have as though they must not have more than others. He does none of that. Rather, he tells them to have a proper perspective of their goods. These came from God. God could take them away. The Lord can blast a great deal and bless a little, as, as one once said. But Paul tells those who have more, what he, whom he calls the rich, he says it's not Having these things is not about your capacity to have. It's about your capacity to give. You have so much, not just to have so much, as though the end of having so much is having so much. He says the end of having so much is that you may give unto others. So while it's true that God's law does prevent stealing and it prevents coveting, the law of God does not prevent giving or sharing. (laughs) You see, the person who appeals to God's law to not give or share completely misunderstands the real law of God, which loves your neighbor. And so, sure, my neighbor shouldn't steal from me or covet my things, but that should never stop me from giving or sharing. And God has blessed our country with opportunity and abundance. We are the rich of the world. And we must not fall into the selfishness of our culture that hoards wealth and hides from those who need it. Now, is this a political speech about society? No, it's not. This is about the church and how we deal with one another because the church collects people from all kinds of backgrounds and economic strata, or yes, strata would be the plural, and some have more and some have less. And we need to be hospitable to one another without grumbling. And some people grumble because, well, I worked hard for this. They should work hard for theirs. And if they worked as hard, they would have as much. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. Sometimes those who have the least work the hardest. And those of us who have much, those of us who have, ought to have a giving and generous heart ready to share. And hospitality is all about sharing and giving. And so if we want to not grumble, then we need to avoid the sins and the pitfalls and the temptations of our culture and the misuses and abuses of its capitalism. Does that poke your American heart a bit? It should, because we are products of our society and our culture. We're not immune to its, its, its pitfalls and its temptations, and we must be careful not to abuse good things or misuse good things. The Lord has blessed us with much. Let us obey Paul's command to be generous and let us obey Peter's command to not grumble. And then we will be able to practice hospitality. So in our outline, we're in the first point of grumbling about guests. The first sub point was culture and capitalism. The next sub point is clutter and cooking. Clutter and cooking. Why do people grumble about hospitality? Because their homes are cluttered and they don't know how to cook. Am I, am I pressing again on some of you, maybe? These two simple things can completely derail hospitality. But the good news is they're easy to overcome. They seem like insurmountable obstacles to some people, but they're not. With organization and planning, the husband and wife can overcome clutter and can cook a meal for people. 
Now, husbands, men, this comes to you first as head of the home. Remember, all, everything is your responsibility, even if you don't do everything. So you need, you need to be the first in virtue, living a tidy and organized life. Set an example in cleanliness and set an example in cleaning. And do not ever say or think that clutter and cooking are the concern of your wife and your wife alone. You're a bad husband if you say that or operate that way. Everything is your responsibility, even if you don't do everything. It starts with you, and then you direct and delegate to your wife, as is reasonable, such that both of you are doing what it takes to have a presentable house and an edible meal. If the burden of hospitality and clutter and cooking falls entirely on the weight, or the weight falls entirely on the shoulders of your wife, that will be a huge obstacle. That will be very difficult. It doesn't have to be that way. If you both work together, the husband leading and the wife following, each in their, with their own strengths contributing, you are able and you can do it. But you'll grumble if it's all on the, on the wife's shoulders or you will grumble if you just say, well, I don't know how. You need to realize that your home doesn't need to pass a white glove test. Every, everyone has this strange irrational fear that your guests, as soon as you open the door, they're going to burst past you and they're going to check the mantle over the fireplace and say, aha, I knew it. You didn't dust this. Literally, no one does that. No one. You don't need to pass a white glove test to have people in your home. You don't need a Michelin star to serve them food. Uh, how many Michelin stars do you have? Uh, none. That's okay. And you know what? The Titus II Ladies Group has done an excellent job in over the years emphasizing hospitality and giving practical tips and how-tos. Here's a simple menu. Here's a simple food that you can make for your guests. Here are some tips. Here's how you do it. Words teach. Examples draw. You don't have to have a perfect house. You don't have to have a perfect meal to accomplish the end of hospitality. What is the end? What is the purpose? What is the goal of hospitality? Is it to have people in your house and to give them food? No, those are the means to an end. That's the context. That's the environment. That's the occasion. The end of hospitality is to spend time with one another. Can you spend time in a perhaps less than perfectly clean house? Can you spend time together with a less than Michelin star meal? Of course. So don't let clutter and cooking stop you. Organize your household. Cook a simple meal so that you can host people in your home and they will care more about you being hospitable and friendly and having a good time with you rather than checking to see if you dusted underneath the lamp, which you didn't. Thirdly, and it's okay that you didn't. Thirdly, children and comparison Another reason why people grumble about hospitality is because of children in comparison. What's the connection between these two things? Why, why group them together? It's, the common theme is shame or embarrassment. A family with disobedient or disrespectful children who do not listen to their parents or are not respectful to other adults will not want to show hospitality because they're embarrassed. 
or they're too busy tending to their children so that they can't pay attention to their guests. So what should you do? This is the parents' fault. Teach your children to greet adults and to listen to adults. Teach your children respect and self-control. I'm not talking about children are to be seen and not heard. We're not talking about that. We're talking about normal, simple manners and comportment or behavior among others. Normal social norms of decency so that you're not ashamed when your child is around other people. And then when your child is unashamed or you're unashamed of their conduct in front of adults, involve them in the hospitality. Involve them in the cleaning. Involve them in the preparing. And involve them in the actual hosting. Have the children get drink orders. Maybe serve the drinks. Put them to work in age-appropriate ways so that the entire household is hosting. Many hands make light work. And their children, if they spill something while they're helping, they're helping. They're trying. They're doing what they can. Spills happen. You clean it up. You move on. You, you don't say, oh, I'm so embarrassed by my child. You've spilled before. You were a child once. They were helping. They're learning. They're not a mater d' with you know, a perfect wine list and white gloves. They're a child. Get them involved and understand that they're a child. Don't seclude them. Include them. Okay, you go into that room and just sit on your iPad. No. Let them be part of the hospitality, part of the work of hospitality, but also part of enjoying the fellowship and the hospitality so that they see it, and when they're older, they can do it too. But if you seclude them and exclude them, they won't even learn how to do it. They'll learn, it's okay for me to just be separated from adult life. It's okay for me to just be separated from real life and society and to beam into my brain all kinds of nothingness and nonsense. Fathers and mothers, you need to manage and govern your household. You're not your children's entertainers, you're their parents. And so you need to raise them to be respectful and helpful. And then you will not grumble about hospitality because you won't be embarrassed by them. Now, am I again pressing on sensitive matters? Yes, but not so that shame might be the end of this, but so that these things can be overcome. Now, don't compare yourself with others either. I don't want people in my home because I'm embarrassed. I don't have the big home that someone else has. I don't have the kitchen that someone else has. I don't have the cooking skills that someone else has. I don't have a matching dinner set for 12. I don't have fancy dishes. Stop, don't be embarrassed. Peter doesn't say, and those of you with matching dinner service practice hospitality. He doesn't say, and all of you who have salad forks practice hospitality. He doesn't say, all of you who have practice hospitality. He just says, all of you, hey, practice hospitality. Peter doesn't make distinctions here. And this is where we need to be reminded that the food and the home are means to an end. They're not the end in themselves. And some of the warmest hospitality I've ever experienced in my life was in the most humble of circumstances. And you know where that was? It was in Cuba. Cuba always comes to mind when this comes up because 
the walls are unpainted, unfinished concrete. The seats are plastic deck chairs that have been here probably since, I don't know, when the pyramids were built. They're so ancient, but they'll live forever. They, they have what they have, but you know, they give it happily. This is what I have here. And their sincerity and their warmness makes unfinished concrete walls and uncomfortable chairs the most warm and cozy and beautiful place on earth. They have so much less than we do, but they're giving so much more. We have so much. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed at all. The simplest home and the simplest meal with love and sincerity and warmth becomes a palace and a banquet. It really does. And if you've ever experienced that kind of hospitality, you know it's the truth. So don't be embarrassed of your home. Don't be embarrassed of your food. That's not what it's about. It's about you spending time with those people and inviting them into your home and being with them. That's why you're practicing hospitality, to be together. Not to, they're not paying for a meal. They're not staying at a bed and breakfast. They're not there in a transactional way, and they're not going to leave a, a one-star review for you on Yelp. They just want to be your friends. So be a friend to them. So why do people grumble? Well, culture and capitalism, it's mine. I don't want to give it away to someone. They grumble because there's clutter and cooking and they don't know what to do with these things. They grumble because of their children they're embarrassed of or their humble circumstances they're embarrassed of. Don't grumble. Don't murmur. Don't complain. Enjoy fellowship with one another. Second, second main point as we continue. Number two, home away from home. As I said already, hospitality is about showing love to the other, to the stranger, to the person you don't know. And uh, an older English translation, the the Geneva Bible said, be ye harborous one to another. Be a harbor, be a haven. If you've ever been on a boat in unsteady waters, it's at least sickening, if not scary. And a harbor is a place that's sheltered from the storms because of a a jetty or the geographical um, features. And so the waters in a harbor are smooth and calm and safe. We need to be a harbor, be a haven, be a home to other people so that they feel love. Which leads us to three sub-points here. How can we provide a home away from home to others? Number one, love overflows. Love overflows. Last week, in 1 Peter 4, verse 8, we paid special attention to the way that Peter emphasizes the command to love one another. What what are the first two words of verse 8? Above all. We said that loving one another is step one. You start here or you don't start at all. Loving one another. And so we need to understand that hospitality towards others is simply one way in which love fills us up and then overflows to other people. If you have a loving heart towards others, then you will perform loving acts towards others, one of which is showing hospitality to them. So how can I be a home away from home to other people when love overflows in me and flows to other people? 
What love? It's the love of God. It's the love of Christ. Jesus gave himself up for me. Jesus died for me. Jesus gave everything for me. And that love fills me. That love encourages me. That love transforms my heart so that I then overflow with Christ's love towards others. And what, my ha- what I have, I give to you. Paul makes a connection between love and hospitality in Romans 12. Let me just read to you two verses from Romans 12. First, verse 10, Paul says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. And then a few verses later in verse 13, he says, Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. First comes love and then comes hospitality. If you show hospitality to others without grumbling, and it comes from a sincere and loving heart, they will feel loved. They will understand that love, and it will fill them up that they might overflow also. We can be a home away from home to others when the love of God fills us and overflows to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Secondly, fellow exiles fellow exiles. This is maybe the most important point in the sermon. We said earlier that fences and locked doors are actually pretty important. They're they're reasonable safety and security in a fallen world. The front porch has become a very hostile environment in a way that it wasn't in the past. You immediately suspect anyone on your front porch, don't you? I do. I guess the older you get, get off my porch. So what is, is Peter commanding that we just open our house and our home to anybody and everybody? No. We should recognize Peter's not commanding that. What does he say? He says in verse 9, show hospitality to one another. This is Christians showing hospitality to Christians. This is within the church community. Does this avoid love for our neighbor, which is to all mankind? No, it doesn't. It's just saying that's not what we're actually talking about. We're not talking about love for anyone and everyone. Peter is commanding Christian hospitality. Christians being hospitable to Christians. This is a one another command for the Christian community, for the church considered on a large scale and on a small scale. And we mentioned before, but need to repeat again, that the church is a collection point. It's where people from all kinds of backgrounds, countries, languages, they all are brought together in one place. What does ekklesia, the Greek word for church, what does it mean? Called out ones. No, that's not what it means. It's an assembly. It's people, it's the citizens of a city who are called to assemble as the citizens of that city. And so when the church is assembled, when the assembly is assembled, We are people from a heavenly city, but we come from all kinds of places on earth. And so what that means is that in the church, we're going to meet people who are unknown to us and are probably very different from us. And yet, despite our differences and the distance between us, or at least where we were born, we are one another. We share so much because we are fellow exiles and sojourners. We have a common identity in Jesus Christ. 
if we're all sojourners, if we're all exiles, we're all marching, we're all um, pilgrimaging, and if you ask the person next to you, hey, where are you headed? They're not going to say Boston. They're going to say heaven. And I'll say, yeah, me too. Mount Zion from above. We're all headed to the same place, the same heavenly inheritance. So Christians are not strangers. We may not know each other's names, but we're not strangers to one another, at least not complete strangers to one another. And this is the mindset Peter wants us to have. View all Christians as your brothers and sisters. View all Christians as your family. All of you love all of you with acts of hospitality, even to those whose names you don't know, even to those whose, whose history you don't know, even to those who are, seem like complete strangers to you as brothers and sister, sisters in Christ, they're not. One of the beautiful things about our congregation is its diversity. I rejoice when I see in the afternoon at the Lord's Supper especially so many different cultural heritages all partaking of the same body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel that is for anyone and for everyone. And where the world would divide and mark people and classify them by differences, the gospel brings us together and unites us. And the Apostle Peter says, all of you, show hospitality to all of you. And that's a beautiful thing that we can do when we see each other as fellow exiles. I want to give you a home away from home. We're all suffering together. We're all on the way together, but we can be a haven and a harbor and a home to, to one another as we go along the way. We can refresh one another as we go along the way. You're not a complete stranger to me. You're a fellow exile with me. Can you imagine being an exile? The Babylonians have conquered all of Judah and in and they've conquered Jerusalem, and some have been spared and sent away to Babylon to be rehomed, to be uh, resettled in different, a different part of the, the Fertile Crescent. You're just walking with all of your fellow Israelites, with all of your fellow Judeans. You, you don't have anything. You have nothing. But you can still encourage one another. You can still help one another. They're in the same situation as you. And that's how we ought to think of one another, not, well, they're so different from me. Yes, in earthly terms. Well, they're so different from me. Yes, as men think, they're your brother and your sister in Christ, your fellow exile. Love them and give them a home away from home through hospitality. Thirdly, it's an honor to be a host. You might think it's the guest who's honored, but this is a, a cultural shift you may come from a culture where it's an honor to be a host. It's an honor to host others. Our culture generally doesn't think that way. We usually think of it as, I'm sacrificing. I'm giving. I'm being generous. But I'm not being honored. I'm the loser here. The host is the loser in the American mindset, generalizing. But we should view it as the host also wins. There's actually no loser in, in sincere hospitality. You both win. Everybody wins. It's an honor to be a host. And the Proverbs speak this way. Let me quote some Proverbs to you. Proverbs 14, 21. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. There's a blessing for the one who gives. Proverbs 14, 31. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. I honor someone else by giving to them. 
Proverbs 19:17. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. So there's blessing for the one who blesses. And in fact, Peter said that earlier in 1 Peter 4, that in blessing others, we too will be blessed. And so those who host, those who show hospitality should have a mindset, it is an honor for me to host you. It is an honor for me to have you in my home. It is an honor for me and my family to feed you and to have you with us. That makes generosity a blessing for you. And it is more blessed to give than to receive, is it not? As our Lord himself said and the Apostle Paul quoted. So we ought to love one another, overflow with that love, be hospitable to one another without grumbling, viewing it as an honor, not a duty and a burden, not, well, okay, I'll do it. (laughs) But rather, I would be happy to do it. I would be honored to host you. And when we do that, we will be a home away from home for one another. And if you've ever been out of the country and stayed in a Christian home, or even just had dinner in a Christian home, then you've felt what it feels like to have a home away from home. It's a very special feeling of safety and relaxation and enjoyment. And just, it's amazing to go to another part of the world and to feel, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use the phrase completely connected, but you know what I mean, just a, a genuine, sincere connection to other people. It's actually one of the things I find difficult in my travels because you feel like you leave a piece of your heart everywhere you go and you can't love everybody that much, but you, you can't help loving them when you're there. And so it, it's difficult because you feel like everyone's your family after that. And that's a beautiful problem, isn't it? Hospitality is a blessing for the host. It's an honor for the host. Well, before we conclude, in the third place, I want to give three exhortations to guests so that you're not a burden to your host. Hosting may not be a burden, but you may be. So make it easy on your host. And I have three three things, three exhortations to guests. Some people may grumble about hosting, not because they don't like the host, but they don't like you. (laughs) Number one, Don't overstay. Proverbs 25, 17. Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. It's the scriptures. It's common wisdom. People have limits. (laughs) Someone may love you and sincerely welcome you, but you can overstay your welcome. You can overstay the most sincere and genuine welcome. Don't test the limits of their patience. Don't be a drain. Be helpful to your guests. Can I help you clean up? Can I help you with this? Be, a, be helpful to them. And don't be over-frequent. Just always showing up. Don't overstay your welcome. You see, if someone begins to open their home and then people take advantage of that by showing up too often or too long, it drains. And you don't want to do that. Don't overstay lest he have his fill of you and hate you, to quote the proverb. Secondly, don't overeat. And I have overeat in, to use Campbell's words, inverted commas or quotation marks as we call them. Don't overeat. Proverbs 23, 1 through 3. I'm going to read this proverb, then explain it, 
because I'm using it in a qualified way. When you sit down to eat with a ruler, observe carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you are given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. Now, what the proverb is is describing is not really what we're talking about. So let me explain it briefly and then why I'm using this. The proverb is saying if you eat dinner with someone who is wealthy and powerful and they spread their, their riches of food before you, it's saying don't eat greedily of these things because they're not sincerely given to you. And so by greedily eating those things, you're actually going to be despised by your host, who's not sincerely offering you these things. That's not the situation that I expect or that I would presume would take place in Christian hospitality. But here's what can happen. Sometimes people will very sincerely spread a feast before you. And if you just take, 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 take from that feast, then it may actually be a disrespect and an an insult to those who have provided for you. When you're at the happiest place on earth, known as Costco, and there's all those free samples, what, what would you think of someone who took every single free one because it's free? Well, they're free. Why can't I have them all? Because that's not respectful, and because other people want to have it too. So just because it's free doesn't mean you can eat freely as much as you want. And so if people show hospitality, the real problem is this. If you just eat, 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 it's not really showing that you appreciate the value and the sacrifice and the effort of what they have put before you. If they say to you, please have some more, please have some more. All right, you've got permission. They've, they've given you complete license. Go for it. But just be conscious and acknowledge what they have set before you and appreciate its value. If they, if they show you something valuable or, or offer you something valuable and you treat it as not valuable, it's an insult to them. Thirdly, and lastly, don't overlook. The quickest way to kill someone's generosity or charity is to overlook it. If someone is kind to you and giving to you, and you don't acknowledge it or thank them, but you overlook their sacrifice and their effort, you'll take the wind out of their sails. You'll take the joy and the honor out of hosting. So you need to be aware of the effort that goes into hosting and be expressive in your appreciation, saying to them and doing for them what you can to show you've not overlooked their kindness or their hospitality. Thank you very much for inviting us. Thank you for having us over. Thank you for making this meal. Thank you being very clear. Not, not, oh, thank you, thank you, but just being sincere, you know? Not not overdoing it, not playing it up. Just being genuinely expressive in your gratitude. We could probably add earlier in the grumbling part, don't overthink it. You know, that would be the the way to say, just tidy the house a bit and put something presentable on the table and everyone will be happy. But in terms of the guests, these are things that we need to do so that hosting us is easy. It's a joy to host us. Don't overstay, don't overeat, don't overlook. Now to conclude, I want to read from 3 John, verses 5 to 8. 
where he says this. He says, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. John describes a situation where traveling ministers come into the church, are housed, refreshed, and sent on their way. They're strangers in the sense that you don't know them, they're coming in and they're going out. John says, it's a faithful thing you do. It's a faithful thing you do. And he says that in so doing, we are fellow workers for the truth. And that's the mindset that we, ha- we ought to have in conclusion is, what's the value of my hospitality? What's the benefit here? It is being a fellow worker for the truth. I'm not talking about refreshing itinerant ministers or traveling ministers or traveling Christians, although that's important. I'm talking about refreshing one another. We become mutual cooperatives. We become uh, fellow workers in the work of the church through hospitality to where we refresh one another, we strengthen one another so that you can live the Christian life and I can live the Christian life so that you can press on in exile and I can press on in exile because we're stronger now for, because of the hospitality that's been a home away from home in this harsh world. If you have refreshed someone, they're able to live the Christian life more strongly. And it also strengthens the church so that if this wonderful property were somehow burned to the ground and lost, the entire church would still be here just as strong as ever. Why? Because it's not the building, it's us and our relationships. And hospitality is going to build up those relationships and strengthen those relationships. And when the relationships of the church, the communion of the church is strong, we can withstand all kinds of things. As we have over the years in this church, the most recent one being the difficulties and complexities and perplexities of COVID, which was tough, wasn't it? For each person in different ways. But the Lord preserved our communion because there were real relationships in place And many of those relationships were actually strengthened through that difficult time. So hospitality is being proactive to keep those relationships, to make those relationships and keep those relationships strong so that the church is strong. It is a faithful thing that we do in God's service, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So brothers and sisters, show hospitality to one another without grumbling so that we can give one another a home away from home as we pass through this world on our way to our heavenly home. Amen.